This is the Digital Corporate Communication Podcast. Hello, I'm Dr. Mark Badham. And I'm Professor Vilma Luomaho. Together we research corporate communication at Uvascular University School of Business and Economics. And we are co-editors of the Handbook of Digital Corporate Communication, or DCC. In this podcast series, we interview some of the best corporate communication scholars across the globe. Each one has written a chapter for the handbook. We ask, what is technology changing or not changing in corporate communication? And how are we dealing with the influence of technology? Today, we're talking about digital corporate communication and complaint management. Uh, This is a topic that isn't at the top of many of our minds, I guess, when we think about corporate communication. And we're talking with someone who knows this topic quite well, Sabine Einwiller, Professor of Public Relations Research at the University of Vienna's Department of Communication. And she's also head of the Corporate Communication Research Group. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. As, by the way, as part of the introduction to you, we should say that you've studied psychology at the University of Mannheim in Germany and at the University of Western Ontario in Canada. Mm-hmm. That's also correct. <laughs> Super. So let's dive into the topic. Can you take us through uh, one or two typical examples of how a digital complaint originates? Well, the classical situation is the product or service failure. So a consumer has bought a product um, and that does not perform to his or her expectation. Or maybe a salesperson did not behave well in the eyes of the consumer. Or it can also be that someone perceives corporate misconduct. For example, the company discriminates against a group or an individual. And this expectancy violation, this elicits an arousal and negative emotions. Well, some people direct this negative emotion inward and they remain silent, but others are motivated to voice their dissatisfaction and complain. And um, with the complaint, these people generally want to reach a particular goal. So um, in case of the faulty product, the goal is often to get redress, money back, new product, or the like. Um, But the goal can also be to release one's anger and frustration by venting, or even more viciously to take revenge and punish the party responsible for the failure and then post like nasty comments. Um, So aside from these personal goals like redress, venting, revenge and so on, uh, people can also aim to reach collective goals uh, with their complaint. For example, they want to warn others Uh, to not buy at this specific company or they want to help others by pressuring the company to change their behavior. Yeah, so these are kind of typical situations and also the goals, the motives are very important. Okay. Um, In in the introduction, we talked about psychology as one of your backgrounds. I guess um, an understanding of psychology is an advantage for you as a scholar of corporate communication? And and how has this been helpful for your insights into this topic of complaint management? Yes, I mean, definitely, because, um, well, as I already mentioned, so it's about like emotions, negative emotions here, um, it, especially at, with this with this particular topic of complaining. So it's really 
um, kind of how people experience dissatisfaction and emotions and they how they respond and express their emotions. This is very psychological and um, well, in general, also um, like how communication um, affects people psychologically and how then they respond um, and what happens um, like regarding their attitudes, their emotions, and then their behavior. So it's been very helpful for me to have this psychological background, yes. Mm -hmm. How does it affect the individual who is complaining? Is it is it becoming more mainstream and easy for individuals to start complaining about something? Oh, yes. I mean, now we have, of course, um, digital channels. So the original complaint um, literature, some, I mean, that dates back to the 70s. So when um, researchers started um, doing studies on complaining, there it was the telephone, it was um, sending letters or complaining in person. But nowadays, of course, with digitalization, um, the people have, um, I don't know, they are like their own channels, maybe like Facebook accounts, Instagram, whatever, YouTube, um, and of course, all the platforms the companies provide. So it's much easier to voice complaints. And um, well, it's also much easier to reach others with the complaints. So this is, um, of course, what makes it more hmm, dangerous also for companies nowadays mm, mm. which is why the word management is uh, important in this um so can you now just describe perhaps if you can just uh, complaint management define or describe complaint management especially from a corporate communication perspective let's start this um, podcast with that yeah um so com Management, basically, I mean, that term encompasses like, organization, planning, execution, controlling. So basically, this is also what complaint management then is. So it's the organization, planning, execution, controlling of all measures taken by a company in connection with the complaints it receives. Um, so the goals, of course, are to minimize the effect like the negative effects of the stakeholders' dissatisfaction on the company, um, possibly restore satisfaction of the complainants and to protect the corporate reputation. And um, well, eventually it's the goal usually to increase competitiveness and also profitability. Um, so maybe I, I think what's important and what's all often neglected is the organization part of con complaint management. Often we mainly talk about like the responding, like the execution, but I find the organization also very important, especially, I mean, like from like a corporate communication um, perspective, because often, um, as I started, like um, it's it's a product or it has been originally, it has been product complaints or service complaints. So complaint management is often part of marketing. Um, but um, first of all, there's uh, complaints can can be directed at the at the corporate at the company just as much. Um, and it's becoming more that the markets get moralized, that um, um, consumers perceive um, moral misbehavior, corporate misconducts, and these complaints about the company as a whole, they um, become more. And, um, and also the product complaints, I mean, they have an effect on the corporate reputation. So, I mean, my advice or, uh, is also to really closely couple complaint management regarding products and complaint management regarding corporate issues. So it should be really 
an integrated unit, if it's possible, or at least like a closely connected um, management of like product complaints or service complaints and corporate complaints. And maybe another um, unit or um, group that's um, at the corporate level is issues management. So that should also be closely coupled because from complaints, the company can learn a lot about issues like that, that arise about the company, its services, and um, then issues management, of course, as we know, I mean, is, is important to prevent um, yeah, crises from erupting. Mm. So um, you kind of hinted that uh, in some ways complaint management has been a marketing responsibility, but you're saying that uh, corporate communication should be becoming more involved in this, right? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So, well, that's often a problem at organizations, especially like a large companies that there's these silos so you have marketing people they deal with the customers and then you have corporate people they deal with the other stakeholders and so um but like online especially i mean they, they all come together they don't care i mean it's about the, the the product and that of course has an effect on the company and the reputation and so it it really needs to be integrated in the organization as well like the the complaint management. So I think this is very important to synchronize that. And especially um, like another aspect in complaint management or like handling complaints is you, you cannot really take your time. I mean, of course you can take some time, but the responses have to be fast or rather fast. Um, so there's not so much time, you know, for coordinations and so on. So um, it has to be really a very smooth um, organizational structure, well functioning, that the information flows easily and um, that the um, responses and decisions can also be made very quickly. Mm. So I guess people have always complained. This is not new in that. <laughs> yeah. But what, what <laughs> yeah. digitalization changed when it comes to complaint management in organizations? Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, complaining, I think, is as long as mankind. Um, but traditionally, like in corporate complaining here, or complaining about companies and products, it was um, traditionally more like a dyadic communication between the complainant and the organization. So um, digitalization has certainly changed the situation in that consumers are now sharing their complaints with many other consumers and stakeholders on social media platforms. I mean, that people have also told others about their complaints. This happened before, too, but um, the, the reach was much smaller. So... Actually, this means, well, that complaining has shifted like from a dialogue to a multi-log, if you want, mm -hmm. so involving not only the complainant and the organization, but also others who are observing the complainant's voice behavior towards the organization. And that, of course, has increased the dynamics. So a dissatisfying experience by one customer may not only have a negative impact for customer satisfaction for this one person, but it may also affect um, others and trigger emotions in others who observe that. And that can lead to collective, possibly outrage even, um, where before only one of you persons were outraged. Now it can be many. Mm -hmm. And of course, I mean, yeah, it's also the channels. So now people have 
many, many channels at their disposal mm -hmm. with digitalization, like the company owned, the third party owned their own um, to voice their dissatisfaction mm -hmm. and um, share it with a great number of yeah. other people. Do you think that digitalization has given consumers more reasons to complain about companies? Because, for instance, we hear more about corporate failures. So is it because there are more reasons to complain or is it because, as you say, digitalization has given consumers more ways or tools to communicate their complaints? No, this is a good question. But, well, I think digitalization has actually has led to more transparency and thus corporate failures are just more apparent than before. I don't really think that companies behaved better previously. <laughs> um, but today, hiding a misconduct is more difficult. So misconduct is more obvious. Um, and additionally, consumers have also become more sensitive regarding corporate misconduct and what they perceive as corporate misconduct. And, you know, when you are online and then you hear, read something and then others join in and that can really uh, cause a dynamic and um, then also like a collective, um, collective effect, collective outrage. Hmm. Um, yeah. And yes, I mean, digitalization is also created more ways and tools of course to communicate uh, the complaints and also to exert pressure on the companies right. um, that in their view behave misbehave uh, or violate the norms mm. right um in your research sabina you talk about complainants and complaint observers so does it mean that complaining can be contagious and is all complaining authentic hmm. It can, it, I think it, it can be contagious. So um, the observers, I think they're very, they're actually a fascinating group because um, many people actually just um, observe and, and watch and we still don't know too much about them. There's some research on observers too. But um, we have done ourselves, we have done some, done some research on why people join in um, online firestorms. So this is when they observe there's complaints about usually moral misbehavior of companies. And um, then people like to join in. And what we have found is also that they, um, that they like that they can participate in a collective um, action that together they are stronger. And also there's this um, concept of slacktivism. So um, online, it's rather easy also to, um, to join in a protest, like from armchair protest. Um, so um, yeah, so it, it, is, it can be contagious um, and also it's easy and through digitalization, it became more easy to protest well, as I said, this term of slacktivism has been um, created to, yeah, to term that. Mm -hmm. Tell us about this idea of web care. What's that? So web care, um, that is actually a term that was coined by Van Nord and Willemsen. And, um, well, they, um, it's, it's, basically complaint management, online complaint management. So say, they say it's the act of engaging in online interactions with complaining consumers. And they also say that it's, um, it's not just responding, but it's also actively searching the web to address consumer feedback. Um, so it's 
directed at the person who posted the negative comment, but um, WebCare is also directed at the others who might read these negative comments. Um, and then, well, according to von Norden Willemsen, this web care has multiple organizational goals. So first, the customer care that um, is like um, like solving the customer's problems to his or her satisfaction, but then also reputation and relationship management, um, aiming to prevent the negative comments uh, from escalating in order to prevent like an online firestorm, online outrage, and possibly even a crisis. And then it's also um, kind of supporting issues management by identifying and monitoring critical issues. And it has marketing purposes, so to actually improve products. So this is in the case of product and service failures. Um, it's really very valuable to um, find out where things go wrong and um, what can be improved. So uh, web care is basically... Um, yeah, so the online complaint management and then the learning also. So it, it's uh, um, searching for the information, responding to the complainants and to the observers, and then learning from it for the organization. I've um, heard practitioners say that uh, sometimes companies need to uh, disable some of the interaction features on social media so they don't get complaints. <laughs> And so they don't get observers of the complaints. Uh, how do you feel about that? Should companies limit the ability of consumers to complain publicly and direct them more mm -hmm. to personal one-on-one -on -one complaints to the company? Yeah, <laughs> difficult question because, yeah, you can, you can see that some companies are doing this. But this is really not... Um, what social media for so i think nowadays if if you really decide to and well, companies need to have be active on on social media then dialogue and and interaction with the the users online is is necessary so just having the the social media channels as like the 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 sending platforms well then you can just have a, a website too so um i think not not allowing the dialogue and the responses by um by the online uh, users and consumers is nowadays is not really it's not really an option but what it really needs of course it needs a good um like moderation and um, observation and management of these platforms to respond well to if if complaints come up and i mean if complaints come up and the company can um, have a good response and an accommodative response and this is also a way to show that they care and the show that to show that they're open and transparent and engage in dialogue and of course there's criticism i mean yeah there's always criticism and um, then um, the companies have to deal with it and um, show that they can respond to it mm. and um, be transparent and open sure mm. Well, Sabine, what about bots or fake or inauthentic complaints? Are they an issue? Oh yeah, I mean, there's um, this is this is an issue actually that research has just recently started addressing, like these like fake fake complaints, mm. and um, 
this can certainly be an, an, an issue if, um, I don't know, some people like in a vindic vindictive way maybe um, post faulty or like wrong comp like complaints or rumors about something that was actually not, not happening. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's let's like with um, responding to rumors, it's sometimes it's difficult. And now, of course, with um, like deep fakes, maybe, I don't know, there's videos showing that some uh, managers of a company said something which they actually didn't. So, um, yeah, so debunking that this is this is a new challenge and um, has to be researched, but also um, in practice, it's, it's a challenge to, to deal with. And they are trying to debunk and um, yeah, counter false accusations um, online. I mean, it's not new. I mean, it has happened before, but now, of course, with the reach and um, with the, the danger of online firestorms, it has become more severe. Mm. What about the political climate that we're in? I mean, it seems that often there's intentions behind complaints that are targeted at certain uh, country uh, brands or organizations representing certain nationalities, or is that um, a new method of influence? Or would you say that this is just a marginal, marginal phenomenon so far? Uh, yeah, I mean, polarization, definitely. I mean, it is, it is an issue. And um also like yeah becoming more political in the in the complaints i mean now around um like what what we just do for example we're just doing a, a study on uh, diversity and inclusion and complaints about like dni so responses to dni posts and it's very emotional so the responses are can be yeah very like, in terms political too um what we see is that companies often they don't they don't don't respond to many of these very emotional posts they just kind of leave them um some they post their standpoint and their values and say well this is what we stand for and this is why we do it um but certainly i mean this is just one example uh, dni but there's there's other of course issues that are um very emotional and polarizing that um, lead to very emotional um, also comments and handling those. I think it still needs um, more research. But what, what we observe now is also that companies are often a bit helpless to answer these and um, decide in some cases to just remain silent. Mm -hmm. We've been talking about the effects of digitalization on all of this, on complaint management. Um, what is digitalization? Well, what has not changed uh, despite digitalization? Does anything remain the same? Um, I guess, I mean, corporate failures and misconduct lead to dissatisfaction, which elicits the experience of negative emotions. I think this has always been the case and remains unchanged. So basically these uh, psychological um, effects of dissatisfaction, negative emotions, also the goals um, people want to achieve. Mm, I mean, we just talked about polarization, so maybe there's some slightly like maybe aggravated goals or so, but in in general, I would say that um, 
the goals like uh, seeking redress or helping others um, or, or venting, um, revenge, they basically re remain the same. Um, so I also assume that most people now and before want to be helped and get an accommodative response, um, unless they are just vindictive and they don't care how the company responds, but they just want to vent and um, like express their anger. So, um, yeah, I think many like these, the psychological um, uh, effects behind the complaining are pretty much the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Well, uh, Sabine, we have a few more questions. We're coming to the last ones here. But could you walk us through the case of Gucci's weather firestorm in 2019? <laughs> That, that's an interesting case. Um, so what happened? Um, 2019, yes, uh, Gucci advertised the black balaclava sweater. Mm. So um, this is the type of sweater that has this pull-up neck and it covers half of the face. And um, well, the special feature here was that it had a thick red line around the mouth opening. And in the ad, a white model wore this sweater and, um, well, many critical posts um, erupted and circulated in social media where the sweater design was called racist because it created an image of black facing um, as it resembled a pejorative caricature from like there's an old children's book. Um, and this caricature that was used as a racist trope. So um, many users were outraged by the sweater and called for boycotting Gucci on social media. Um, and this was also taken up by the mainstream media. So um, it was really kind of a, a para crisis or even a full crisis already. So um, Gucci, Actually, they reacted really within a few hours to these um, negative uh, posts. So it, um, what it did, um, so it responded in a, with a post and it, they also said, well, they removed the product from all its shops and they apologized. So in this first response, they really applied several accommodative response strategies, like apology, accepting responsibility, and um, also they um, announced two types of corrective actions, like removing the products. And also um, they had a statement regarding their commitment to increase diversity in the organization. So sounds good. <laughs> well, but the posts, it would really calm down the people. So this first post, so the reactions, I mean, this was just kind of really erupting and people were becoming outraged and the, um, well, the, the, the kind of um, yeah, dangerous part also was that several um, celebrities joined in and said they will go boycott Gucci. And then there was this rapper, 50 Cent, and he posted a video of him burning a Gucci shirt on Instagram. And of course, that was a very drastic statement. Well, okay, so um, nine days after this first tweet, um, Gucci community, 
Kated then a second response on Twitter and Instagram, and then the firm's CEO was was also was quoted here, accepting full accountability. So I think it's important here. It wasn't just an accommodative statement here. Then the top manager of the organization um, showed that he cares and um, that he accepts full uh, accountability and responsibility. So um, also importantly, I think here what um, the company did in the meantime and within just a week or so they had consulted with one of these celebrity critics um and so they consulted on what they should change and so on and they really announced that they would um, introduce real behavior change so they communicated also in the second post um, several initiatives for increasing cultural diversity and awareness in the company and um so the second post contained uh, several important elements. So again, it was accommodative, um, demonstrating accountability, sincerity from the top, showed openness to learn, also um, include this um, uh, the community, learn from the celebrity who was offended. And um, it also furthermore, they stated very co concrete corrective actions. Um, and this second post was much more effective then than the first one. Majority of um, comments then on Twitter and Instagram were positive. And then finally, about a month later, um, they followed up again, and then they published a long-term diversity and inclusion action plan on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And they announced like a global program. They put wanted to. I mean, they said they will put in a lot of money to. Um, to increase um, their diversity and also not just within the company, but also within the industry. And um, with this third post, Guti showed that, um, that they really want to fulfill their promise and that they want to make progress in that, in that aspect. Mm. Um, so the responses were also largely positive. And then by that time, also there were much less um, comments and posts so the the firestorm has or had already um mm. diminished mm. so well i think what we what we can learn is um in such a situation one accommodative post often doesn't do it so it needs more and it needs also to show that the company is really learning and wants to change yeah yeah certainly it's a case that we can all learn from um so thanks for that Sabine, now um, one final question I want to ask you is about the future. Um, what do you still hope that we could learn in the future about this topic? Well, in terms of research, um, I think I already mentioned it, that um, the understanding mm. of um, bystanders, I think, is, is very important. So the differences between the effects of um, corporate responses on online complainants and complaint bystanders. Also, kind of research on the motives of bystanders to read and um, also to share. Then, yeah, also, I mean, bystanders, when do they turn into active communicators mm. um, who may either support the complainant or even the company? So that's also an interesting phenomenon that um, there's um, also like, uh, um, the bystanders who read the complaints who then support the company so what motivates people to do that and maybe how can that be um, enhanced or fostered by corporate communication mm. um, 
Yeah, so also what I find interesting is um, when do people remain silent or when do they voice their complaints? There's some research on that on personality characteristics, but we still don't know much about um, online complainants and not online complainants. So maybe there's cultural differences. I always mm. love intercultural research. So mm. looking at maybe cultures where harmony is more valued mm. and maybe their complaining is less prevalent or just differently executed. Mm. Uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. We can't thank you enough, Sabine, for all the insights you've given us. Mm. So thank you very much for being part of this podcast. Yes, thanks for having me. And um, yeah, looking forward to the book too. You were listening to the Digital Corporate Communication DCC podcast. 